Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I am your host, Parker. And I am Ray, and we welcome you to episode 13 of the Math and Physics Podcast, where today we're going to be talking about cool geometric shapes and interesting geometric facts about manifolds and basically the universe. So let's begin. <laughs> Every single episode just ends up being about the universe. The universe. <laughs> I just wanted to start off with the simplest shape and the very, I guess you could say the, the shape with the least vertices that is possible in three dimensions, and that is obviously the triangle. Um, and there are a lot of super interesting properties that come with this super interesting shape. Mm -hmm. So in elementary school, or no, not even, <laughs> what am I talking about? Um, this is like middle school slash high school. We learn a lot of uh, these theorems, such as like the sine, is it called the sine theorem? Where it's like sine A over A equals sine B over B. Um, that sine law. Sign law, right? That was not elementary or middle yeah, school. I know. That was high school. No, that that was that was like middle school. A sign law was high school. Sign A over A equals sign B over B equals sign C over C. That's high school. All right. That's Anyways. like grade eleven, grade twelve stuff. <laughs> Anyways, there's <laughs> the sign law. There's also the cosine law, and then they mm -hmm. try to like they try to teach you trigonometry, which has the word trig in it, and it kind of tricks you into thinking that trigonometry is about triangles, but in reality. You know, the more you get into math and calculus, you realize that trigonometry is just all about circles. It's it, it can be applied to triangles, but it can also be applied to every other shape. But, you know, trigonometry emerges from the properties of a circle. Yeah, that's true. From uh, the original unit circle, right? That's originally where all the sine, cosine, trig came from. Because not a lot of people actually think about this, e even though they know it, they don't necessarily think about it, that the unit circle or like the four quadrants on uh, the Cartesian plane are basically originally where you can say trigonometry started from. Because we have, you know, the C-A-S-T thing, where on yeah, the first yeah. quadrant, it's all of them are positive, negative, stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. or at least that's how I think it originally began, because that makes a lot more sense, because we can generalize the unit circle to basically any object, but a triangle can't really be generalized into any object, right? So I think that's why you could say that it would be a little bit easier to generalize it using the, using the unit circle. Right. And if, if anyone's listening and they don't really know what like sine, cosine, and tan is, it's actually really easy. If you just right follow the path of the circle starting from uh one zero on the uh, cartesian plane if you just follow the path sine is just the height of your point and cosine is just the distance from the y-axis so like mm -hmm. i don't want to say the length of your point because that doesn't really make sense but you know the it's the it's the x-coordinate of uh, your point and so it creates this wave pattern if you draw the graph for each one and these wave patterns can actually be applied for, you know, in tons of uh, fields such as, you know, quantum mechanics and... Uh, wave dynamics too. Yeah, and, and you know, obviously in uh, classical mechanics when you're doing rotational dynamics and or just ro like rotational motion and things like that. Yeah, so I, I think it can be pretty much used in a lot of places and that's where, you know, trig is useful in general. Because pretty much any object, even if you take like a square or anything with greater than three vertices, 
can be taken or generalized as a triangle, right? Because a square, for example, you just put a diagonal through it, you get two triangles, right? And that can be pretty mm -hmm. much done with any shape, any vertices, any sided figure. And that's what's, I think, cool about triangles being like the fundamental three-dimensional shape, because from triangles, we can, you know, move on to higher and higher, you know, shapes. But the interesting thing, as I already said, is that higher shapes can be broken down to just smaller triangles. Right, right. So it kind of all stems from mm -hmm. the original, you know, quote unquote, original three dimensional shape. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah, those are those are shapes in three dimensions, but there's or I guess two dimensional shapes that we can analyze in three dimensions. But there are also uh, other interesting shapes, which is going to be like the body of this uh, podcast. So the first one I wanted to talk about is the Mobius strip, mm -hmm. which is actually a two dimensional manifold that is embedded in three dimensions. Okay, so if you don't know what a Mobius strip is, imagine you have like a rectangle and then you twist one side and then you connect the two ends. So basically what happens is that you can draw a line on the Mobius strip. If you start at one point and you just go along the strip, you will end up drawing a line on both sides of the paper that you twisted and connected together. Mm -hmm. I think uh, uh, something a lot better would just be to simply search up online Mobius strip because, well, the problem with the podcast is obviously we don't have any video, so we can't show it to you. And for this entire podcast, I don't think it's just for Mobius strips, for the, pretty much this entire episode, it would be a lot better if you search up all of these shapes that we're going to be talking about, because it's kind of hard to describe it in words without having like a figure to talk about with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, before you continue on, I want to tell a joke, a very funny joke, okay. <laughs> an extremely funny joke that I heard from the Big Bang Theory. Okay. And, and it goes like this. Why did the chicken cross the Mobius strip to get to the same side? Boom! <laughs> <laughs> to get to the very same side because there's only one side. Yeah, so I just thought that joke would be perfect with what we just spoke about. Yeah. So um, one thing that's kind of cool is that the like as a three-dimensional being analyzing this object, it appears to be a two-sided object, right? Like I can I can put my finger on one side and I can put my finger directly on the other side. And, you know, I can follow those like two opposite points along the strip at all times. And it, I can kind of define two different sides of the object. But as a two dimensional being on that strip, it would basically seem as if you are just going along straight forward forever and in, in an infinite loop. And you would never know on which side you would be on at any point because it's just like walking it's like a, a human walking around a ball right? there's no beginning or end or top bottom or left and right it's all the same and uh j just making sure uh the mobius strip as you said it's a two-dimensional object in a three-dimensional manifold correct it's a two-dimensional manifold in three-dimensional space oh exactly that's pretty much why i was trying to get the yeah okay makes more sense makes more sense yeah Okay, so um, continuing on from the Mobius strip, we have the Klein bottle. And, you know, I can't really explain this with words as well as you can just Google it, like we said earlier. But um, if you take two Mobius strips and you attach edge to edge 
the two Mobius strips together, you will get a Klein bottle. So this is just a shape where the inside is the outside at the same time. Just like in the Mobius strip, the top was the bottom at the same time. And so in this case, the, the Klein bottle is still a two-dimensional manifold, but this time it's embedded in four-dimensional space. So what makes the Klein bottle uh, so interesting is that when you try to manifest it in three-dimensional space, it looks like it's going through itself. But in reality, it's just not, it's, it's not really recreatable in three-dimensional space. Well, technically, so there are Klein bottles that you can actually purchase online. And I've seen like a few videos on it, like in three-dimensional space. But yeah, as you were saying, it's not like the exact same thing. It's just like our 3D representation of what it would look like. Because you can actually search for it and it's like an actual glass bottle. Well, yeah, but it's like in in reality, it the the bottle doesn't, or the shape doesn't really go through itself you know it's just the only way we can actually reproduce it in three-dimensional space is if it it literally has a hole and it goes through itself but yeah that's not that's not mathematically how it goes down okay so that's pretty cool klein bottle is dope mobius strip times two pretty much and uh now we can talk about a personal favorite of mine it's uh gabriel's horn now, uh, the reason it's a personal favorite is because you can actually do this yourself. Don't really need, I mean, I guess you could search it online on Google still, but it's actually very visual. If you just know what the graph of Y equals one over X looks like, that's basically it. So look at the graph of Y equals one over X, take only the positive numbers. So pretty much when X is greater than zero. Well, here's what it is. It's, it's, it's Y equals one over X. Yeah. From one to infinity. Okay, so you're not starting at zero because that would mean you're starting at yeah. Okay. In, in okay. So, okay. Sorry. So technically, you're starting at one. Sorry, my, my mistake. You're starting at one and you're going to infinity. So again, hopefully you guys can visualize this. If you can't, as I said, you can just search it on Google. And okay, so once you have that graph of one over x when x is greater than one, what we have to do is we have to rotate it on the x-axis or about the x-axis in a 360 degree form. That means if we rotate it, it would kind of look like a cone or as the name suggests, a horn. So if we rotate it 360 degrees about the x-axis, that y equals one over x graph, we get this infinite looking horn almost. And the really interesting thing about this is what happens when we are talking about its surface area and its volume. This object, this this particular Gabler's horn, has an infinite surface area, but a finite volume. That means, now this is where it gets crazy. If we were to take paint, right? Let's say we were to paint this horn. If we were to paint the outside of this horn, we would never be able to finish because we would require infinite paint to paint the outside. However, If we wanted to paint the inside of this horn, we would need a finite amount of paint. Now, I think that is really cool. The fact that I think think this... I don't know if you explained that right. No, no, I did. Believe me, my grade 11 math teacher explained it the same way. And believe me, it's 100% right. Because it has infinite surface area, finite volume, right? So the surface area, the outside would take infinite to do. But if you want to fill the inside or the volume of the horn, it would take finite paint. 
Yeah, that's not what you said, though. You said if you wanted to paint the inside. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I mean fill the inside. Sorry, sorry. I meant fill the inside. Sorry. If you wanted to fill the inside, it would take a finite amount yes. or a finite volume of paint. But the distinction is that the outside surface area is the exact same as the inside surface area because the thickness of this a mathematical object is zero so yeah sorry once again i did not mean i did not mean inside painting i meant like filling up yeah i, I meant the volume part of it but yeah anyway so i just think this is a really cool object that you can play around with and if you know like basic integrals and derivatives it's actually really easy to prove yourself too because calculating volume and surface area once again if you know integrals isn't that hard especially for an object that's just been rotated across one axis so it's not crazy hard to do it's just a really interesting shape that i thought i should share and just like to simply explain the reason why one is infinite and the other is uh finite is because well one of the integrals when you do it it just doesn't converge to a number and that is the surface area it just doesn't converge to any number it goes off to infinity and the volume converges to a value of pi yeah so it has it has pi units uh cubed of of volume i think that's pretty cool too the fact that it just pi and you know how pi is such an important number and obviously it's just pi right yeah i think that's another cool thing about geometry not really anything to do with the episode but just something really cool to add is that you know all these weird irrational numbers like pi especially pi and e and stuff like that you know people underestimate how much its value is in math you know like someone would see pi and be like oh you know whatever it's just a number big deal but the thing is that number or this irrational number is maybe one of the most important irrational numbers in all of geometrical history because it's just so important when it comes to mathematical figures but here's one one question for you right Mm -hmm. do you think that there is uh, an importance a certain importance associated to every irrational number like do you think do you think every irrational number can find a place in in math wow that's actually pretty cool well okay so i at least think irrational numbers in general i think they're pretty cool the fact that they you know they never end and stuff like that but i don't think that every irrational number has something to do with math you know like there's special numbers like for example the speed of light is it a special number absolutely not but it's still associated with something very special that's what i think the same thing with pi is it's not necessarily a special number it just has to do with something that's really special that's what i think Mm. yeah it's an interesting take Yeah, yeah so moving on to the next cool shape it's called the coke or Koch, Koch. Yeah, snowflake. I, I, I think, I think you should talk about this because I was looking at it and it looks confusing. I have seen this figure though. I have seen it before, but I wouldn't know how to explain it too well. Okay, sure. So it's um, it's the K O C H snowflake, <laughs> and so um, how you construct this shape is that you take an uh, an equilater- equilateral triangle, and then on each inner third of the three sides you add another equilateral triangle this time with side length of one third of the original Mm -hmm. and then you just keep repeating that process so on each inner third of each side you add another equilateral triangle 
and then you get this shape that kind of looks like a snowflake, hence the name. So um, this shape also has a finite area, but an infinite perimeter because it's a two-dimensional shape. But if you do want to make it a finite or sorry, an, an infinite surface area, all you have to do is give a, a, a width to the shape. Mm, yeah. So you, yeah. you make it like a three-dimensional snowflake and it will have an, an infinite surface area but a finite volume and it's the same it's the exact same um, idea as Gabriel's horn so if you perform the uh, the integration or not it's, it's not integration it's more of a uh, an infinite series because you're adding a certain volume for every iteration of triangles that you're adding to the shape and um, so once you perform that you will see that the volume actually converges to a certain value, which I don't have on the top of my head. I think it's something like square root of three times the side length squared. I can tell over you, so five. It's, it's eleven root three over one thirty-five pi. The volume. Oh, that's a solid of revolution. Never mind. Sorry, sorry. I no, was reading no. the wrong thing. So the limit of the perimeter. Where's the limit of the volume? Well, no, we. They well, don't talk no volume about volume. Area, area. That's what I. What I was saying is that the the area should be like root three side length squared over five or something Multiplied like that. Multiplied by two. Yeah, it's 2s squared root three over five. That's the okay, formula. Yeah. That's the formula, yeah. And also a really cool thing about this is um, if you construct this thing, and I, I think a lot of people have actually seen this because I'm actually looking at it and I notice what it is, but I wouldn't be able to say its name. So I think a lot of people might have seen this before where you can pretty much have an infinite zoom in and you see the same shape over and over again. And this actually yeah. comes up in a lot of geometrical shapes. It's just that this is one popular one. I think a lot of people have seen the ones with, uh, you know, okay, this might be really creepy to think about, but this is a famous one with uh, the hand, the hand, and on each finger, there are five more oh, hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you keep going down and you keep going down. And that's basically the same thing, right? It's basically the coke or coach curve, if you think about it. That weird thing that we see on Instagram every time. That's mm. basically the same thing. Cool. Weird way to think about it, but yeah. And um, one thing that made me think, or when you said, when you zoom in, you see the same thing. Mm -hmm. I thought of um, the Mandelbrot set. Okay. Do you know what that is? Would you care to explain? Okay, so it's it's very hard to picture in your head. <laughs> but mm -hmm. basically, if you if you take... It's... it's, it's basically a set of points in the imaginary plane. So the the x-axis is the real numbers and the y-axis is the imaginary numbers. And then what you do is you pass it through, you pass each point through an equation. And I'm pretty sure it's like z equals z squared plus z naught, where z naught is the previous iteration, right? Okay, I'm I'm actually not 100% sure about this, but I'm I'm just going to be able to trust you. Yeah, so I mean, you can just you know, Google you just it too, Google yeah. It, yeah. But what happens is that you get like so all the points that explode to infinity, you like color them in based on how fast they go to infinity, and all the points that uh like stay within like a local range of their initial value you just color in as like black 
And then you get this crazy fractal pattern that um, if you zoom in on any like point, you get like a crazy fractal where like it um, repeats itself like an infinite amount of times. And there's like crazy like swirls and it's just a really cool pattern. Mm -hmm. If you want to see like a really cool video about this, you can you can search up number file. And if you want to see the actual Mandelbrot set, go on YouTube and search up Mandelbrot set zoom and it'll zoom in on a random point and it'll be really cool. I promise. Okay. Okay. I, I, I think you actually have showed me this video. I believe you have, and maybe that's, yeah, I, yeah, I think I have actually. Yeah, I think, I think you have. Okay. So now onto something that even, even more special than Gabriel's horn and no one will believe it's special when I'd say its name Pythagorean theorem. Yeah. <laughs> so whenever people hear Pythagorean theorem, you know, they get these high school vibes and these high school flashbacks that, oh, I hated it, but it was so stupid. Where is it useful in reality? Nowhere, right? Well, that's clearly wrong because I'm here to explain. So <laughs> Pythagorean theorem, however useless it might have been in high school, believe it or not, when it comes to complex physics and like, you know, general relativity, especially Pythagorean theorem becomes the most important formula, believe it or not, in physics. Let me explain. So general relativity, what's the purpose of general relativity? I think we have spoken about this before, but the purpose of general relativity is to calculate how much the space-time manifold or the space that we are in has curved. Let me explain. So the Earth, let's say, I, I, I think a lot of people have seen this demonstration with a carpet and you place a ball in the middle and how the ball depresses the carpet and you can imagine yeah. the carpet as space and the ball is the Earth, Right. So general rel relativity, all it's doing is it's trying to calculate this curvature. How do we do that? That's the big question, right? Believe it or not, it's Pythagorean theorem. That's our answer. So what does that mean? So Pythagorean theorem is a regular right angle triangle where we can apply uh, C squared equals A squared plus B squared. We know that, we live for it, and we've learned it a long time ago. With general relativity, however, because there are all these curves and everything like that, what they do and how they calculate the curvature of the manifold is they take a triangle, a regular right angle triangle, and see, obviously they have to do a lot of calculations, but they prove what the Pythagorean theorem would be. That means the A squared plus B squared equals C squared. What that equation would be on the curved manifold. That means how much ever this triangle, this right angle triangle curves, is the curvature of the manifold. If you see the first ever recorded answer to general relativity, which is the Schwarzschild metric, very, very famous, definitely do suggest you look it up. The Schwarzschild metric, if you look at it, it looks exactly like an C squared equals A squared plus B squared, but just with a lot more complicated variables, of course. So on the left side of the Schwarzschild metric, I'm obviously not gonna go too deep into it. It's DS squared. And that can be taken as the hypotenuse. And that is exactly what we're measuring. So basically, the point I'm trying to make is, believe it or not, Pythagorean theorem is one of the most important formulas or theories or proofs to understand and wrap your head around when talking about like complex physics, especially general relativity. I had to stay quiet for that because I just don't know anything about general <laughs> relativity. So It's really cool. It's really cool to think that, you know, 
it all comes down to Pythagorean theorem. Yeah, I mean, in like in basically every single branch of math, you're gonna see Pythagorean theorem. Mm -hmm. Like, you see it in uh, linear algebra all the time, and you see it in calculus all the time. Basically, every time you're taking a derivative, you're using um, Pythagorean theorem. Because mm -hmm. rate of change is just uh, right. It's it's the hypotenuse yep. of like the hypotenuse of uh, d dy over dx. Mm -hmm. d, yeah, dy over dx. Yeah, and 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 I think that's what's also cool. You know, I think I I keep I keep reiterating this, but it's really cool how all these fundamental concepts that we've learned, like in grade ten and grade eight, and you know stuff like triangles, you know stuff like Pythagorean theorem from grade ten, stuff mm -hmm. like that is so important. Like it's the fundamentals. You know, that's what's actually important when it comes to the long run. So understanding that, the fundamental stuff, especially if you're like in, in high school listening to this podcast, understanding the fundamentals are a lot more important than you think they are. And I think that's what I have to say about the matter. That is very true. And mm -hmm. one thing that you realize <clears throat> is that like high school math becomes like pretty fundamental to first year university. But mm -hmm. what happens is that you learn so much in first year that it kind of seems like first year is just the first building block of like the fundamental ladder for what you're about to go into and like high school it, like it, it feels like it's like a christmas tree you know like <laughs> high school is like the 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 trunk of the tree and then first year is like the huge like the first branch becomes like the support to the yeah I don't know. It all just it all just keeps growing. It all just keeps growing is basically what you want to say. Right? I just sound crazy right now yeah. talking about Christmas <laughs> I, I, trees. <laughs> <laughs> I think the basic point you're trying to make is that all foundations, everything you learn is important and basically just pay attention to that. Yes. But yeah, that that's basically what you're trying to say. Yeah. So pay attention is the moral <laughs> of this whole podcast. <laughs> pay attention to your high school kids. Pay attention. I remember learning about um, triangles in like elementary school mm -hmm. and like we were drawing out triangles and we were learning how like all the inner angles add up to 180 degrees. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember thinking like, yo, that can't be true because if I change one of the angles, it'll be like more or less than 180 degrees. And then I had like this epiphany where I was like, yo. If I change one of the angles, they all change. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> it actually does work. I had a mathematical epiphany there and I was <laughs> sold eight. for the rest of my life. <laughs> no, but I see, I think, I think that's also why Parker and I love math and physics just in general. Because it all just kind of stems up from some fundamental that just makes sense. And then it just keeps you know, getting more and more complicated. So it's like the situation where if you don't understand one plus one equals two or two plus two equals three, you will never understand 500 plus 630, you know? It's, it's as simple as that. If you don't understand the fundamental stuff, like Pythagorean yeah. and all this thing, like understanding future stuff is just hopeless because it all stems from this. And uh, like people see like, People who haven't learned integrals yet, they see the integral sign, they're like, oh, this is so complicated. But in reality, you're just adding up, you're adding up rectangles. That's literally all like, you're doing. It's not that complicated. Calculating the area of a rectangle is just base times height. And in mm -hmm. integrals, you're just adding a bunch of rectangles where you're doing base times height. I mean, it's not as easy as I'm 
saying it to yeah, be. Yeah, but it's not as hard as people think it is either. It's not like crazy next level math. You're just, you know, you're mm-hmm. just finding an equation that will help you add up all of these rectangles together. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when we talk about geometry, we can also talk about like, you know, different types of spaces. Now, unfortunately, we've already passed 30 minutes, so we might be cutting this a bit short. Maybe we can definitely have a part two talk about like, uh, you know, vector spaces, yeah, different types sure. of spaces. We can talk about different types of spans. We can talk about a lot of things when it comes to geometry. We like completely disregarded the entire linear algebra <laughs> section of geometry. Yeah. There are so many things we can I, talk about. I think the part two of this episode is going to be linear algebra. I think there are going to be part twos to basically all of our yeah. episodes because as we're <laughs> moving much. on, we're starting to notice that there are just so many more things we can talk about that we just haven't, that yeah. we just, you know, have to. So pretty much to all the listeners out there, you might be seeing a lot of part twos coming up soon. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I guess we can just cut it off here and then keep talking about geometry in the next episode or absolutely, not the very next absolutely. episode. Yeah, soon. The part soon. two. You'll hear from us soon. I think um, the next episode that's coming out is going to be an interview or like a conversation with a guest. Oh, let's see. The suspense is killing me. Yeah, so uh, this has been episode number 13 of the Math and Physics podcast. I am your host, Parker. And I am Ray, and we will see you soon. See ya.